Good morning, Bettendorf Christian Church family. Hey, my name is Barry Steiner, and I'm the family and student pastor here at BCC. I'm also uh, the current interim senior pastor. And if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, um, I hope that you'll grab those and have those ready as we're going to be checking out a lot of scripture in God's word this morning. I once heard this story about these two old friends who bumped into each other as they were walking down the street. Uh, one of them looked really sad, really on the verge of tears. And so the, the one friend asked, like, why, what, what's going on? Why are you looking so sad? And the sad fellow said, well, three weeks ago, um, an uncle of mine died and he left me $45,000. His friend, he looked at him and he said, man, what a blessing. He said, no, 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 but you don't understand. Two weeks ago, this cousin that I barely knew, she passed away. And, and she ended up leaving me $85,000 free and clear. And, and his friend looked at him and he said, my friend, I'm, I'm sorry about your, your loss, but you know, truly you've been, you've been living this blessed life. Wait, hold on a second. This past week, my great aunt passed away and she left me nearly a quarter of a million dollars. His friend was just floored, and he said, well, I just don't get it. He said, obviously, you know, I, I understand the loss of your friends or your, your family, but, but you've been blessed beyond all measure. I don't understand what you're so sad about. He said, well, because this week, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, talk about ingratitude. Well, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. I know this is going to be an exciting week for many of us, and I want to ask a question as we get started here today, and it is this. What is something that you can be grateful for this year? What is something you can be grateful for this year? I know for myself, there are a lot of things I'm thankful for in the year 2020. Uh, my wife, Michelle, and I, we, we finally pulled the trigger um, this year, and we bought a home after five and a half years um, right here in Bettendorf. And uh, for us, it was exciting, and we could see how God moved and orchestrated and put those things into place. Uh, Michelle and I, we celebrated our 21st anniversary this year, and our, our son, Jed, he turned 13, and, and that was exciting. There's so many things we could be thankful for. You know, I'm so thankful that just over the past month, we've seen so many baptisms here at BCC. And, you know, my Atlanta Braves, I'm a baseball fan, they had a great baseball season. Now I'm sure that all of us have things that we could be thankful for. And if we were to go around this room this morning and I passed around a list, I'm sure every single one of us could write down something we would be thankful for. The list could go on and on and on. But maybe there's something that's happened this year. Maybe there's something that has happened in your life that is keeping you from living a life of gratitude. There might be something that's keeping you from thinking about anything good that has possibly happened to you during this year. Maybe it was something big. Or maybe it was just a ton of small things that just piled up. Because let's face it, there are all kinds of things that can keep us from showing gratitude. Maybe you lost a loved one. Or maybe your parents split up. Maybe this year has been financially or physically hard because of health issues. Maybe you're so tired of all of this COVID-19 and you're tired of wearing masks and you're tired of the social distancing. Maybe you were burnt out in early November by all the political fighting and 
Maybe you have members of your family who disagree politically, and so you already know Thanksgiving's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> that is, if you're even going to celebrate Thanksgiving together because of all the things with COVID. But regardless of who you voted for, regardless whether your team won or lost this year, whether you feel positive or negative about the current circumstances in your life, as Christians, it is important that we live a life of gratitude. Brennan Manning once said, I believe the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatic, Republicans and Democrats. He says the real difference is between those who are aware and those who are unaware. He says when somebody is aware of what the Father has done for them in their life, that person should be spontaneously grateful. Cries of gratitude become the dominant characteristic of one's interior life. And the byproduct of gratitude, he says, is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful, and that leads us to a life of gratitude. I'm sorry, we're grateful. That makes us joyful, I should say. There were two psychologists, uh, a Dr. Robert E. Emmons of the University of California, Davis, and uh, Dr. Michael E. McCullough of the University of Miami. They've done a lot of significant research in the relationship between gratitude and living a life of joy. In one study, they asked their participants to write down a few things each week focusing on particular topics. One group, they were asked to write about things in their life that they were grateful for, things that had occurred during the week um, that, that they found joy in. Uh, a second group wrote about just daily things in their lives that irritated them, that kind of nagged at them just a little bit. And the third group wrote about a lot of different things, but they didn't have any emphasis on positive or negative. And about 10 weeks after this study began, what they started to find out is those who had wrote about gratitude says that they were more optimistic and they felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and they had fewer visits to the doctor's office. They um, those who chose to focus on the positive things, great things were happening in their lives. And things that focused on the negative, these were the ones that were struggling. In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness and joy in one's life. This research showed that gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, to relish good experiences, to improve their health, to deal with adversity, and to build strong relationships. Charles Spurgeon, he once said, there's this marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines, he says, are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. He says, this blessed joy is very contagious. He says, one sorrowful spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is um, wretched it seems to stop the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy, it is contagious. Holy joy will oil the, uh, will oil the wheels of life's machinery. 
Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Who wouldn't want this kind of joy in their lives? If you do, I want you to know that true joy can only be found in being grateful, in living a life of gratitude. So this morning, I want you to know that every Christian can live joyfully by following these three steps of gratitude. And the first step is this. The first step to live joyfully is that gratitude is an attitude. Gratitude is an attitude that you must choose to have. As we look at God's word this morning, there's, there's some very real advice that we get from the Apostle Paul and it's, it's this attitude of gratitude that he's trying to show us. It's relevant to each and every one of us. So let's open our Bibles together, and we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. And this is what it says. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, there are three things in these three verses that we can apply to our lives this Thanksgiving as we develop an attitude of gratitude. And the first thing we see is this. He tells us to rejoice always. This can be difficult because a lot of times in life we don't want to rejoice you know, when we, talk, when we talk about or think about the, the loss of a loved one, it's tough to want to rejoice. When we think about all the crazy stuff that happened this past year, it's very difficult to rejoice. Yet Paul encouraged this church, this church in Thessalonica, to rejoice, not just to rejoice, but to rejoice always. You know, many of the people of this church they were under this impression that Jesus was going to return very soon. And they were confused as to why this hasn't happened yet. Why hadn't Jesus returned? And, and I think what they were confused about, what they were upset about, was their confusion was turning into mourning because their loved ones were starting to pass away. Their loved ones were starting to die. And they thought Jesus was supposed to return in their lifetime. They didn't know what was going to happen to their loved ones since Jesus hadn't yet returned. So Paul, he writes this letter as an encouragement to them, and he tells them to rejoice, to rejoice always. And he tells them to do this because of the hope, because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Let me read you a couple verses from the previous chapter where Paul's trying to comfort these people as they think they're losing their loved ones too soon. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
So what Paul's doing is he's giving these people hope. He's telling them that Jesus would bring those who had fallen asleep with him. Those who had died an earthly, physical death, he would bring them back to life. See, Jesus had defeated death, and because of this, he's telling these Thessalonians that they could rejoice. Jesus had conquered death. They could rejoice in that and have hope. And we, we can rejoice in the very same thing today. Jesus rose from the dead, and that gives each and every one of us a promise and a hope of eternal life. Is that not something to rejoice about? To rejoice always in that. The words rejoice always, they meant the same thing to this group of believers somewhere around AD 51 that they do to us in 2020. Do you always find a way to rejoice in your life? Or do you need to check your attitude? Now, the second thing that Paul teaches about having a gratitude or an attitude of gratitude is to pray continually. Some versions say pray without ceasing. So what Paul's trying to communicate um, to these Christians all these centuries ago and also to us today is to have a prayerful attitude in all of our circumstances. In every situation that comes up, we're to pray. You know, when we go to work, we pray. Maybe we pray something like this. We, we pray, God, allow me not to just work for a paycheck but allow me to work with this attitude that reflects your goodness and your glory to these co-workers around me. When we sit down to eat, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for the nourishment and the energy that it provides for me to do your work and to serve you. Thank you for the family and these friends that are sitting around me as we dine together. Even when I'm watching football, and this is really, really tough, but God, give me peace and give me patience to model Christ to my children who are watching and listening everything that I'm saying about this game, especially when my team's not doing very well. And God, please forgive me for calling the ref blind. And Lord, while you're at it, please cure him of his blindness. <laughs> Listen, basically... Scripture calls us to pray in every situation. I want you to take a moment. Take a moment and just ask yourself, how is my prayer life? Do your friends know you pray? Would your friends describe you as a prayer warrior? How often do we say that I'm praying for you but we actually forget to do it. You see, today is the day that we can do something about this. Today is the day that we can make this decision to make prayer an active part of our lives. If you're not praying continually, we need to check our attitude. So the first thing we do is we rejoice in all things, and the second thing we do is we pray in all circumstances. The final piece of advice Paul gives us is to develop an attitude of gratitude is he tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. The message version, it says, thank God no matter what happens. 
You know, there was this little boy that he was asked to say the prayer at Thanksgiving dinner, and so he started off, and he thanked God for the food, and he thanked God for his family, but after that, he just kind of ran out of things to say. And so he started to pray, God, now let me tell you all the things I'm not thankful for. You know, most of us, uh, we're kind of the same way. A lot of times we run out of things to say when it comes to how God blesses us, but we're really good at complaining about the things that we don't think are happening in our lives. Most of us want to separate our prayer lives into two categories. We want to say the things that we're thankful for, but we also want to talk about the things that we aren't thankful for. But it's almost as if Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we need to combine everything into one category and give thanks for all of it. But how can we give thanks in all circumstances? How can we give thanks in a situation that we wish just didn't happen? Why would we want to give thanks in those type of situations? It's important to, that we understand that Paul says this. He says that we give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. He says the word in, not the word for. He is not saying that you need to be thankful for failing your test. He's not saying that you need to be thankful for all of your family issues. And he's not saying that you need to be thankful for having the worst luck with dating ever. He is saying that when bad things happen, that we need to thank God that he has not abandoned us during those times. Be thankful for the presence of God and for the good that can come through these difficult times. Paul writes something very similar to the church at Rome. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, God doesn't cause bad things to happen, so, so don't thank him for the bad things in your life. But... In his goodness and his mercy, God teaches us. He teaches us new things during these bad situations. He shows us just how strong our faith can be. And that is what we should be grateful for. That is where he wants our thanks to be. So this church, the church at Thessalonica that he was writing to when he said these things, he's, he, this church, it was facing persecution as well. And Paul was reminding them in that in desperate times, they needed to continue believing in God. You know, I once heard a speaker say, my circumstances do not define my God. It is my God who redefines my circumstances. You know, that was the point that Paul was trying to communicate as well. He's trying to communicate that, you know, it's the same thing we can learn today. If, if we give thanks, we should give thanks because God, he redefines our circumstances. Gratitude is an important attitude to display. You can start to be a more grateful person regardless of your current situation. I love the attitude of the little boy with the baseball bat who thought he was the greatest hitter in the world. 
He, he would throw the ball up and he would swing and strike one. And he bent down and he picked the ball up and he threw it again and he swung and he missed it. But he kept reminding himself, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he picked the ball up a third time and he swung and he missed again. And he bent down and he picked it up. I am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Listen, you may not always be able to change your circumstances, but you can change your attitude. The more you can pause your life and consider how and why you're thankful, the more you're on your way to becoming a grateful person. If you're not giving thanks in all circumstances, maybe you need to check your attitude. So if we want to have this attitude of gratitude, we need to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all, in all circumstances. So the first step to living joyfully, we must remember that gratitude is an attitude. The second step to live joyfully is that we must have developed that gratitude is a habit. Gratitude is a habit. If we go back and we read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 again, just at the very end of it, it says this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to live. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to live. The message version, it says it this way, this is the way that God wants you who belong to Jesus Christ to live. God is calling us to be people of gratitude. Here Paul says, this is God's will for you. You know, so many of us want to know what God's will is for our life. And right here, it tells us this is one way that we can absolutely know what his will is. It's abundantly clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, a life of gratitude is God's will for you. This is how he wants us to live. In fact, we need to develop a lifestyle of habitual gratitude. We need to make it a habit in our lives. And a habit, according to Webster's, it says, is an involuntary pattern of behavior acquired by frequent repetition. A habit of gratitude will transform your life into a joyful one. As we grow as disciples, we should see this habit of gratitude developing in our lives. A relationship between us and Jesus should transform us. It should transform us into joyful, positive, and grateful people. One sign that Jesus is living in your heart is gratitude. Someone once said that Jesus lives in two places, that he lives in heaven and that he lives in a humble and grateful heart. As believers, we should be, make a concerted effort each and every day, not just one day a year at Thanksgiving, but every day to appreciate all the blessings that God has given to us. Our lives should be filled day to day with the spirit of gratitude. Psalm 92, 1 and 2. It says this, it says, It is good. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. These verses say that we are to praise and to thank God 
both at night and in the day. This is how we develop a habit. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in the book of Colossians, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, he says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is saying that our lives are to abound in gratitude. In order to be grateful people, we need to start giving thanks each and every day of our lives. Once again, we need to make it a habit we need to discipline ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves to find something each day that we should be grateful to God for. In the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, what we see is we see that Daniel got down on his knees three times a day to pray and to thank God for what God was doing in his life. How many of us do that? So many of us think that if we just thank God one time a day, that's good. And, and are we even hitting the one time a day? But Daniel got down three times each and every day. So I want to challenge us. I want to challenge each and every one of us to develop a regular routine in our life where we can sit down and just think about what God has done for us. Maybe we need to journal Maybe we need to just sit down and reflect. And once we start to remember each and every good thing that God has done for us, or each and every bad thing that God has brought us through, we praise him and we give him thanks in that moment. And when we do that, it starts to become this habit in our life. No matter how small your blessing may be, you need to learn how to search out the positive in those things. Even in the midst of the negative, we praise God for what he's doing. There's an author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote this book called Outliers. And in this book, he, he wrote about people who seem to stand out for doing excellent work. And he wrote about all kinds of people. He wrote about athletes, and he wrote about musicians. He wrote about CEOs and Basically, what he was trying to show is these are the type of people who've put in work, who've put in the type of work that makes them better at what they do. One of the things that he wrote about is how all of these successful people have practiced. In fact, they've practiced so much more than the average person that that is what makes them great. See, he wrote about this thing called the 10,000-hour rule, and he said this. The idea of this is that anyone who spends 10,000 hours practicing something will eventually become an expert at it. Gladwell went on to say, practice isn't the thing you do once you get good. He said, practice is the thing that you do that makes you good. So if we want to get good at gratitude, we need to practice it. We need, to put it, we need to put in the time, maybe even these 10,000 hours that is written about. We need to make this a habit in our lives. So remember, the second step to living joyfully is that gratitude is a habit. And finally, the third step to live joyfully is that gratitude is a response. Thankfulness is born out of gratitude for what God has done for us. If we read Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5, 
It says this, it says, shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now this passage, it tells us that God has been so good to each and every one of us. God has given us so much Each and every one of us have everything to be grateful for. The problem is that we don't always take the time. We don't always take time out of our schedule to look for or even respond to all of the blessings that God has given us. And this is so clearly seen in the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. We're going to read verses 11 through 19 as it tells us this story. And it says this, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Faith, I'm sorry, your faith has made you well. Now to understand what we're dealing with here, we begin this story with these 10 men who had one of the worst diseases of their day, leprosy. Several years ago, I, 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 I talked through a sermon and, and shared a, a little bit about leprosy that day. And I, I went back to those notes because I want really for you to understand how horrible how terrible this disease of leprosy truly was because I think we need to understand what these men were going through to really understand then, man, why is only one returning? Leprosy was this skin disease, or it is this skin disease that attacks the body. It leaves sores, missing fingers and missing toes, damaged limbs in its wake, In many cases, the initial pain of leprosy gives way to something even more terrible than that. A loss of sensation in the nerve endings, which leads to more damage to even more body parts. This disease, it says, can take anywhere between 10 and 30 years to run its course. In that time span, it says entire limbs can simply fall off. This disease is horrible. This person would usually die of an infection that would enter their body through these sores and through these openings. It can be easily transmitted through inhalation and through bodily contact and even through contact with the clothing that one of the lepers had worn. 
I want you to think for a moment what it must have been like 2,000 years ago when they did not have the medical treatment that we know of today. It was pretty much non-existent. Beth Moore, she, she writes in her book, Jesus, the One and Only, she says, or she tells of this occasion that she had to be near a, a modern-day leper colony. She writes that something within her had always wanted to, to visit and minister to the people that were dealing with this horrible disease. And a trip overseas had finally given her this opportunity to come near such a place. She described how she walked by the entrance, not once or twice, but three times. And each time she could not go in. She saw how the people were suffering. And she pleaded with herself, she pleaded with God that she would have the strength to go inside. But she never did. And she said the reason she could not bring herself to go in was because of the smell. She said, the smell of the rotting flesh overwhelmed me so much, I could not work up the stomach to go inside of the colony. So the trip passed, and she was not able to ever go inside. Once again, I share this with you because I want to paint a picture of what these men were going through. This disease is horrific. And I also want you to consider for a moment, not just the physical pain that the lepers would go through, but the emotional pain as well. Because these emotional scars they felt could have been even worse. The person was removed from their family. They were removed from their community. They could be, they could be no contact between them and anybody else. There couldn't even be a goodbye kiss. They would be removed immediately from their home. Jewish law prohibited that anyone with such a disease could associate with the general community. So they had to be isolated, and many times they had to be outcasts and live as outcasts until they died. This was necessary in order to keep this infectious disease from spreading and becoming an epidemic. Now, because of the social distancing we faced because of COVID this year, maybe we have just a, a small taste of what they were going through emotionally. What would it have been like to have been removed from your family and from your friends, from the community for an entire lifetime? It must have been absolutely heartbreaking. They couldn't be near anyone who was healthy. And because of this, lepers, they would, they would stick together and they would look for food together and they would beg from a great distance they would yell out in loud voices anybody anytime somebody came near, both to warn them to stay away, but also to see if anybody would just throw them money or to throw them food. So these 10 men, it says in this story, it says they cry out to Jesus as one. They say, Master, have pity on us. This was their only hope. This was their only chance. They had no way out of this dilemma on their own. There were no cures. There were no solutions. What we see here are 10 desperate men. What other option did they possibly have? So they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have pity on us. This is a phrase that recognizes that one is in a pitiful condition, that one is unable to solve this problem on their own, that one is in a situation which they can do nothing about, and they must depend on a superior power. So they cry out to Jesus, and Jesus tells them to go and show themselves 
to the priests. And thankfully, these men, they're obedient. And they go out and they head together in search of these priests. And on their way, Scripture tells us that they are healed. I'm giving a description of this account, of what this moment must have looked like. A minister by the name of Andy Cook, he says this, he says, On their way to the priests, a hand reappeared, and it tingled with life. A crutch tripped on a filthy rag as it fell to the ground. The leg was back, healthy and whole and complete. The skin cleared and the tiny hairs on the forearm turned from a snow white to a brown. One looked at the other and another looked at the rest and they started smiling at each other and they started rejoicing. They raced out into the distance. Their nightmare was finally over. And in all the rejoicing and all the celebrating that had taken place, only one, only one of these healed men came back to say thank you. One of these men caught himself in the middle of the celebration and he returned. He put his family on hold. He put these priests on hold. And he came back to the very source of his celebration. And that is Jesus. You see, his gratitude, it led to a response. It led to action. But what about the other nine? I remember when Jet was three years old, we had this picture Bible that we would read through every night, and this story was in it. And for whatever reason, this story happened to be one of his favorite. And so as we would read through it, I would still remember every time, you know, he would just kind of shrug and he would just ask, where are the other nine? Even to a three-year-old, this just doesn't make any sense. Where were these men at? Jesus had just cured them of an incredibly horrible disease. He had restored them to a place where they could go back to their families, where they would no longer be social outcasts. Why don't they come back to thank him? Now, biblical scholars, they've shared many, many reasons. First and foremost, these 10 men, they were on the way to see the priests. This is exactly what the Old Testament law called for them to do. Maybe they just thought they could go to the temple and they could thank God once they got there. But it's possibly because they got exactly what they wanted from Jesus. They got exactly what they wanted and they didn't have any reason in their mind to even have to come back. Talk about being shallow. Talk about being superficial. They have no desire to worship him, no desire to glorify him, no desire to even thank him. Whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, it must not have been good enough for Jesus. Where are the other nine, Jesus asked. Do you realize what this says? All Jesus told them to do was go and show themselves to the priest. Jesus never commands that any of them ever express their gratitude to God or even return to him to say thanks. Nevertheless, we see that this is exactly what Jesus expected of them. Jesus' emotional response to this ingratitude of the nine leopards gives us a glimpse into the very heart of God. Jesus was disappointed. He was disappointed that only one person cared enough to come back and express his gratitude. 
William Barclay, he writes, no story in all of the Gospels so poignantly shows man's ingratitude like the lepers in Luke 17. The lepers came to Jesus with desperate longing and he cured them. And nine never came back to give thanks. Barclay said, so often once a man has got what he wants, he never comes back. Doesn't this look like some of us We take God's goodness for granted. We receive great blessings, yet often we don't give God our gratitude. Perhaps this is why David writes in Psalm 103, verse 2. He says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David didn't want to forget to give God his gratitude. And many of us probably don't want that either. But in most cases, we forget the blessings of God and never return to say thank you. So where would you fit in this story? Would you be like the one who returned to say thank you? Or would you be like the nine who just went on their way? What has God brought you through? What are the things that he has healed you from? What are the prayers that he has answered in your life? What is your response? What is your response when you think about Jesus giving his life for you? Is it a response of gratitude? Have you come back to him and have you said thanks? Do you continually give him praise? How do you express your gratitude for every blessing that Jesus brings to your life. Now please hear me and don't miss out on this. So often we think that gratitude is all that God wants from us. But this isn't the case at all. It's all about what God wants for us. You see, when we live lives of gratitude, it changes everything about the way we live our lives. And it leads to living a life of joy. So if this is something you want for your life, you can live joyfully by remembering these steps. Gratitude is an attitude. We can be grateful if we rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude's a habit. We can be grateful if we make gratitude something that we do frequently, that we make it something that we do each and every day that we put in the time and that we put in the practice, maybe even 10,000 hours until we get good at it. And finally, again, gratitude is a response. We can be grateful if we remember to return to God and thank him for everything that he's done. Now, I once read about a South African man who had been robbed and he surprised these nine men as he came home one evening and Eight of them ran off before he could do anything, but he caught up with one and he pushed him into a swimming pool. He soon realized that this poor man that he pushed into the swimming pool, he couldn't swim. And so he jumped in and he rescued him and he pulled him out. But as soon as he pulled this man out of the pool, the man started calling back to his eight friends, come back, come back. And he pulled a knife on the guy who had just saved his life. The guy didn't waste any time. He just pushed the guy back in the pool. Listen, let's not be like that one thief. Let's live a life of gratitude.